uh, as a preacher, uh, it's easy to get into a place of, I'm the preacher. But oftentimes God humbles us where we have to go, I really need to lean on God for this. Uh, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Uh, when pastor asked if I could preach, uh, preach today, um, God started working in my heart, uh, thinking, all right, what am I going to preach? And God was like, hey, you haven't done Romans 12. Why don't you preach Romans 12? Then came Sunday. And in the morning service, when pastor said, turn to Romans chapter 12, I was like, all right. There's a lot of stuff in Romans 12. Maybe he won't preach the same passage I will. Then he said, we're going to be reading the first two verses. I was like, oh no. And then he said, I have three points. I went, oh no. <laughs> but at the, end, uh, at the end of the Sunday evening, totally different messages. I was like, oh, thank you, Lord. But you made me nervous. <laughs> Uh, Romans chapter 12, we're going to read the first two verses. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that I would lean on you this evening. Lord, I pray that you would remove your servant so that your message could come across. Lord, give me the words to say and the power to and the power behind them. Lord, I pray that through this message you will be honored and you will be glorified. We pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Growing up in evangelism, uh, I was always that kid that forgot to, things to pack. And so my parents actually printed out a checklist of things to pack before we leave. And uh, I would go through that checklist thinking, I have everything. It's all in my suitcase. It's all in my backpack. We're good to go. And I, uh, always, 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 I would forget at least one thing. I can't tell you how many pairs of black shoes my parents bought, how many belts. I have probably had 30 pairs of socks in my sock drawer at one point in time. But we had this checklist so that we wouldn't forget anything before we left. Well, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, gives us a perfect checklist for something even more important than going out uh, in evangelism. And that is for the will of God. So if, you want, if you're taking notes, you can title this message, God's Pre-Will Checklist. The first point I want to see is, you must be saved. In verse number one, it says, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Paul indicates three different ways that we know he was talking to save people. First, he, said, he says by the word, therefore. That therefore is saying, anything that I said beforehand, because of everything that comes beforehand, I'm about to beseech you. Well, what came beforehand? 
Well, we see Romans 10. Uh, that if thou, uh, of, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. We see through the first 11 chapters of Romans talks about the finer points of salvation. And so because he said, I'm beseeching you, therefore on salvation, I'm going to beseech you. The second term he used is brethren. We see in Romans, in the first chapter, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Verse number 7, To all that be in Rome... Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace be unto you. He was talking to the brethren. He, by using the term brethren, he indicates that he's talking to the saints, those who are saved. And the third phrase, by the mercies of God. Titus 3, 5 states, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Paul was literally saying, compelling, by the very way that Jesus Christ saved us, I am compelling you. This beseeching is an exclusive term. Dare I say it is discriminative. It is a clarion call to believers. Paul states in 1 Corinthians 2.14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can, they know, can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Only an unsaved person would think that going to a Bible college for four years, spending uh, about let's see, $12,000 year, $48,000 for a, an occupation that doesn't pay much, that has little return is a wise thing. Only, a, only, only a, a, an unsafe person would think, what? Why would you do that? Only the unsaved would think that because Only the unsaved would not consider the benefits of eternity. This is the foundation of the two actions Paul is compelling believers to do. So the first, first checklist of this, this beseeching, the first pre-will checklist that God has for you is you have to be saved. You're not going to think of spiritual things if you're not living in this spiritual world. The second thing, second item on God's pre-will checklist is that you have to be sacrificed or surrendered. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The first thing I want to see under this sacrifice or this surrendering is that it is a willing sacrifice. Paul would say it is a living sacrifice. Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not have someone present your bodies a living sacrifice. This 
this part in the, in the Greek is, ye yourselves present yourselves. It is a, it is a choice of your will. This asks, answers the question, are you willing? Are you yourselves willing? See, I can't make you do it. Pastor can't make you do it. Your, uh, your spouses can't make you do it. You have to make it a choice yourself. Just as Isaac was willing to it was a willing sacrifice. We too must place ourselves on the altar of submission saying, God, whatever you will is, I'll do it. One of our professors, every, nearly every lecture he gave, he'd, he'd start off with, boys and girls, I want you to live not like this, or not like this, holding on to things. You've got to live with open hands. Whatever you give me, you can take. Whatever I have, I offer it. That's what surrender is. It is, I am not holding anything back for myself. I'm not holding myself back from your will. I'm not holding my kids back from your will. I'm not holding anything back. But I want to do your will. So it's not only a willing sacrifice, it's a washed sacrifice. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, a holy sacrifice. As a holy sacrifice, we are commanded by God in 1 Peter 1.16 to be holy because He is holy. This holy sacrifice does not mean that we are sinless. I'm not preaching sinless perfection. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, before we have clarity of the will of God for ourselves, we must take care of any sin that we have in our life. A.W. Tozer once said in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, the closer we are to God's holiness, the more sinful we become. Because of our sin nature, we will never be completely holy. However, we are, to, we are able to take care of the sin that we have committed. That's why God gave us verses like 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the psalmist David warns in Psalm 66, 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Meaning, if I harbor or cultivate sin in my life, stuff that I know I'm not supposed to be doing, that God has told me is wrong, if I do not get that right with God, God's not going to hear me. My prayers are going to follow me. Why? I am knowledgeably holding back sin. James 4.8 states, Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse ye your hands, ye sinners. Purify ye hearts, ye double-minded. It is a call to be clean. When you get close to God, you got to be clean. One of the side effects of knowing God is finding out more sin in your, in your life. If we have unconfessed sins in our lives, the Lord will withhold His will from us until we get it right with Him. And you know what? Many times that sin may not, it may be we are not getting closer to Him. The stagnant Christian is a useless Christian. 
see it's not just a, wor a uh, willing sacrifice and a wash sacrifice, but thirdly, it's a worthy sacrifice. It says, holy, acceptable unto God. For uh, Colossians 1.10 states that we are to walk worthy, unto the, uh, worthy of the Lord unto, the ple unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 also states that we are to walk worthy of God who have called you into His kingdom and glory. And Ephesians 4.1 further states that we are to walk worthy of the vocation whereunto we are called. Every one of us has at least a general knowledge of what we're supposed to do. Mar uh, Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Mark sixteen fifteen through sixteen, and Acts one eight. Those are what we would call the Great Commission. Talking to every Christian to be a witness. Walk worthy of the vocation means that we need to be doing something, and that something may be in the way of soul winning. Growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God does not use someone who is lazy. Let me give you some examples. Gideon was working in the threshing floor in secret. He was still working. Elisha was plowing in a field. Joseph was doing what his father told him to do. Daniel was working in a heathen land. Peter, James, and John were washing their nets after, fish, uh, after a night of fishing, even Paul was doing what he thought God wanted him to do when God spoke to him. And Moses was tending sheep on the backside of a desert. <clears throat> Be busy doing what you know God wants you to do and God will open and shut doors for you. Being a sacrifice or surrendered is not something for a select few Christians. Paul finishes up off the verse saying that it was expected of every Christian, saying it is a which is your reasonable service. That phrase reasonable service means it is something that is normal, expected, implied, inferred in being a Christian. It is like it's like helping people get getting it is like helping people get better it, oh sorry when i did this my editing did not go through very well it's like helping people get better is a reasonable service of a doctor or keeping People safe is the reasonable service of a police officer. It is the expectation that as a Christian you are surrendered to do what God has for you to do. Like putting out fires is the job of a fireman. It is a reasonable service. Which means, as Christians, we need to be willing we need to be washed. And we need to be worthy. The third thing I want to see is you must be submitted. Now you're probably asking, well, you just basically said that when, when you said submitted. Or, yes, but there, it's different. This is, di this is different from surrendering. 
Being submitted is different from surrendering. Though both are an act of humility to the will of God, being surrendered is in preparation, whereas being submitted is in practice. Before God shows what He wants, before God shows what He wants, we are we, we need to be surrendered. After God shows us His will, we are to be submitted. Habakkuk two one says, "I will watch to see what the Lord, uh, what He will say unto me, and when, uh, and what I." Let me rephrase. Start over. I will watch to see what He will say unto me. And what I shall answer when I am reproved. So, how are we supposed to be submitted? Well, verse number 2. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You are to be submitted by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do you do that? Well, the Greek word for conformed is seskometazo, which is, in short to say, it is a, it, kind of like an evolution, but it's also a, always a transferring from a, a good form to a lesser form. It's always worse. That conformity will always turn you into something that is worse. However, the word but be transformed is the word metamorpho, which we get the word metamorphosis. In which case, it is always implied that it is a better form. It is an upgrade. It is an improvement, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. Always an improvement. The beginning of the, this verse tells us to refuse every. The ever-changing influences of the world, but to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life towards the will of God. Ephesians four twenty-two through twenty-four says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The process of renewing your mind first involves putting off the old man and then putting on the new. The putting off the old man is not letting yourself be conformed. That conformed is like, like being molded by clay. It's ever-changing. Or water in a container. You can put whatever in the container, it'll always change and move towards it. Putting off that old man is not letting yourself be conformed. But the putting on the new man is letting yourself be transformed. So how are we transformed? Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who though through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 2 Peter 3.18 states, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, 
thoroughly furnished unto all good works. How are you supposed to be transformed? By letting God's word work in you and through you. 2 Timothy 3.16 gives us that four parts. It shows us uh, for doctrine, what's right. For reproof, what's wrong. For correction, how, uh, how to change what you're doing wrong correctly. For instruction in righteousness, how you can stay correct. When we are submitted to, will, to the will of God, we are going to be changed. It's a wonder that the will of God will turn... Uh, it's wonder what the will of God will turn you into. Uh, if I could give an example, uh, in during my junior and senior year of high school, uh, in the I went to uh, the youth group with a guy named Kyle Birchwell. Now the Birchwells, they were they're the, they were always those outdoor people, like yeah, let's go hunt and kill and camp and you know. And like very rugged guys. And uh, I don't know what Kyle had against me at that time. But we would always go back and forth. Uh, I, was, I viewed it as just like play banter. Uh, but he apparently did not. And uh, he, would, he would always punch a little hard. <laughs> But uh, we went to the same Bible college, and, you know, Kyle was still the same Kyle, still kind of rough around the edges. And then Spring Revival came around, and then something changed in him. After that Spring Revival, you can tell there was a noticeable difference in in Kyle. He even came up to me and said, Caleb... I just want to apologize for uh, the way I acted when we were in high school. Uh, I know you were just messing around, play banter, but I, I, my words cut a bit. And even in, in college, I, we'd still do that. And it, it was wrong. I'm sorry. Now he's probably one of the softest hearted guys. He's actually a missionary on his way to Kenya. Just Totally different. Why? He surrendered and submitted. Why are we to be submitted to the will of God? Continuing on in verse number 2, it says, That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This proving is, is a trying or a testing. And it's not a test to see if something is the will of God, but rather it is testing the character of that will of God. First thing it will test is that God, God's will is good. Romans eight twenty eight and 29, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring to pass as it is, as it is this day to save much people alive. No matter what happens, God means it for good. 
It's always to bring glory to God. There's a sorting comfort in knowing that whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm facing, there's an overarching plan. I may not know it, and I may never know it. So whether God is testing me like He did Job, refining me like He did Paul, or chastising me like He did Jonah, God wants to get me to the place where I am the most beneficial to His will. That's what it means when He says, that you may prove what is that good will. Second, I want to see that it is an acceptable will, or is God's will is pleasing. There's great joy in doing God's will. Even in difficult times, God provides a peace through it all that transcends all human reasoning. It is the family that just lost everything in a fire that sings, How Great Thou Art. Or the man who just lost his wife and daughter in the delivery room singing, It is well with my soul. Things like this should not happen, but through one that understands that God has some plan through it all, we are comforted. I'm not saying that there's that in God's will there's no room for grief and sorrow. Even Jesus Christ wept at Lazarus' tomb. But there is comfort like no other. And that brings us to the head. And that it is a perfect will of God. God's will has no flaws. There are no accidents in God's will. Whether He sends or what He does in His will, it is perfect for us. Let me give you my experience. In 2009, on a gray day on November 30th, my family and I, we were going in two separate vehicles to go Christmas shopping. And around 3.30. My brother and I were in one vehicle. My, the rest of my family was in another vehicle. They were ahead of us. And we got a mile, exactly a mile away from our house when we were just making a left turn at a blinking red light, and bam! We were in a car accident. I received cuts, seatbelt bruise, a um, couple pieces of cuts of glass. My brother, on the other hand, received the brunt of it. Uh, if this is what his pelvis, your pelvis looks like, this was his. Uh, decimated would be an appropriate term. But that was the good injury. My brother received a traumatic brain injury. He was given a one in five chance of just being able to feed himself and communicate some way. He was in a, uh, a coma for 17 days, came out on my birthday. On Christmas, he was supposed to have 
One surgery was supposed to take six hours. It took four. On the 28th, or 29th, he was supposed to have another surgery for the other side of his, for the back side. It was supposed to take nine hours. It took six. And when you talk to the doctors, they, they said, you know, we, we were expecting the pieces of his pelvis to be in one place, but when we got in, it was like they had already started to form back. They were already starting to come together. Well, fast forward a couple months, he, we went to the Shepherd Center in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, where my brother received uh, therapy, uh, occupational speech, physical therapy. I have a great respect for that occupation. They have a lot of patience. And patience. <laughs> but let me fast forward a couple years later. My brother, actually, let me fast forward to now. My brother runs four miles on a, uh, every other day. Won't stop talking. <laughs> and he's, you can hardly tell that he had a brain injury. Aside from a, aside from a limp. But let me get to the good part. A few years after the accident, one of, the, one of our good friends... Uh, who who helped us during that time, uh, during the accident. They gave us a call and said, Hey, I just want to let you, let you know that the accident really scared our youngest daughter. We were very close with them, and the youngest daughter was infatuated with my brother. She was like six years old, so. Just, but she absolutely loved him. And when she thought, hey, Josh may not be coming back home. We may never see him again. That scared her. It got her thinking of, what if I was to die today? And so we just called to tell you that our youngest daughter got saved because of your son's testimony. Because of this accident. We never... God's will, when we're in the present, may not seem like it fits. It may not feel perfect. It's not, it may not line up with our ideal of what perfect is. But God has a perfect will. And you know what? It may not even have to do with us. But someone saying, hey, I saw what you went through. And I want what you have. This proving will, sh will not show if God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect, but it will show us that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. The will of God is not a far-off thing that we have to search and search and search and search for. It's not a, a far-unknown if you are saved, surrendered to go anywhere and do anything, and are submitted to what God has to do for you now, God will lead you into the specifics of His will. 
So I just have these three questions. Are you saved? Are you surrendered? And are you submitted? Let's bow our heads in a word.